Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome along to the latest Forza Italian Football Podcast, the only Italian football podcast bringing you inside the Serie A stadiums every single week. I couldn't tell you how many games we were at this week, but there were quite a few, quite a few important ones as well. Um, I'm Connor Clancy, as always, joining me here to talk about this week's Serie A action is Kev Pogazowski. Kev, hello. Hi, Connor. How are you? I'm all right, mate. I'm, in fact, I'm very, very happy this evening. How are you? Uh, I'm probably not as happy as you, but I'm very well. Cheers. <laughs> I think you might be, you know. Your team have a chance of winning your league, so... Yes, oh, yes, of course. Yeah, I forget. I'm trying to block it out. <laughs> I'm happy to block out the nerves. <laughs> yeah, whatever, whatever it takes, Kev, whatever it takes. Um, also joining us to speak about Serie A is Vito Doria. Vito, hello. Hi, Connor. I'm probably not going to be as uh, joyful as you this week, but... Uh... <laughs> I'm sure once again we'll have another amusing and uh, intriguing podcast coming up. I certainly hope so. I think it will be, if not amusing, it will certainly be enjoyable for me because we're going to have to start there, guys. Uh, The biggest match of the weekend was arguably played in Rome at the Stadio Olimpico, where, incidentally, we did have Alistair McKenzie. So for those of you listening to the audio version of the podcast and not watching live on YouTube, you will hear me speak to Alistair right about now. I am now joined by our very own Alistair McKenzie down in Rome, who was at the Stadio Olimpico for Atalanta's 3-1 comeback win over Lazio. Alistair, thanks for joining us. Was this a case of Lazio being their own worst enemy or were Atalanta deserving of the three points? I think that um, most Lazio fans you've talked to today will be saying that it's not really a case of Lazio being the worst enemy, but Wallace being Lazio's (laughs) worst enemy. And uh, a lot of people also out there are saying he was Atalanta's best player today. But um, 
I think that would simplify it a bit too much. I mean, to be honest, the way I saw it, it was a very even game. I think Atalanta, you have to say, deserved three points because A, they made their chances count when they got them, and B, they didn't make the kind of individual mistakes that Wallace made. So, obviously, Papa Gomez, uh, the error giving the ball away to Gomez, um, a good team like Atalanta make you pay for that, which they did. Um, and, yeah, the, the chances that Lazio created otherwise, um, you know, they, they didn't manage to put away, which has been a bit of a theme of the season. So, yeah, I think Atalanta, you know, there aren't too many people claiming that they didn't deserve the win. It's um, just a case of frustration, I think, from the last week, particularly that we've, uh, I suppose, again, seen Wallace um, making such a bad error. Well, you mentioned them not taking their chances and that being a theme of the season. Lazio kind of going up and down has been a bit of the theme of the season, which was evident again today. But why haven't they been able to show the same consistency this year as they have in previous? To be honest, I think that consistency has been an issue with Lazio for a while. I don't think this year it's definitely an issue this year, but I think that you'd find this being a, a talking point in most, most seasons of Lazio. I think the reason that it sticks out a lot more this year is simply because of how well the team did last year when they got 72 points, which this season is probably going to be enough to finish third, but last season wasn't even enough to get in the Champions League. Um, and part of the thing that got Lazio there last season was the, the fact that so many players were having the season in their lives. And if you look at what's happened this year, Chiro Mobile, Luis Alberto, Sergio Milikovic, all these guys aren't playing nearly at the level that they were last season and I think that's not helped as well because in times of need those players have been able to carry Lazio in the past in, in a way that they've not really been managing to so far this season um, obviously there's the usual things as well the Europa League takes its toll Lazio got through to the knockout stages of that and obviously have gone into the, the uh, Cup Italia final as well. So they have taken all three competitions they've been in seriously. And the other question really is, is over the squad depth, which was something that seemed to, um, at face value, have improved last summer. The likes of Alan Berisha and Milan Badel coming in, um, as well as Joaquin Correa, um, seemed like to, additions that would bolster the squad but in reality I think that Joaquin Correa has probably been the only summer signing who's really made any sort of impact whatsoever and the squad players um, elsewhere have either been struggling too much with injuries which have been another kind of running theme of this season for Lazio or they've just failed to make an impact um, when they've been given their chances so I think that's uh, played its part as well. Yeah well sadly off the pitch in recent weeks there have been the the typical old problems raising their head again um, with the racism issues, obviously. How has that been reported in Rome? Obviously, you're there. So what's been the general feeling about that around the club? Well, obviously, with this kind of thing, um, we're kind of used to what happens now. It's It wasn't, sadly, the first case of high-profile clubs um, targeting players with racist abuse this season. We've seen it already with Inter, with Juventus, Cagliari not too long ago. And um, I think this example was pretty shocking um, with obviously fascist banners in the city centre, the smaller group before the actual racist abuse inside the stadium, which was so bad. And then obviously the ruling of the uh, EGT, which wasn't nearly strong enough either. Um, But yeah, I mean, to be honest, the the reaction to it is more or less the reaction that always seems to happen, which is that there's a few days of outrage and then everyone seems to kind of move on. And this is really 
the root of the problem, in my opinion, anyway, is that it's not being addressed seriously enough. People come out and, and say things and get talking heads to say things, but uh, but the actual root of the problem isn't really addressed face on. I don't think the club was nearly strong enough in the way that it came out um, about this. I think they spent far too much time talking about being victims, talking about how this doesn't represent the Lazio fan base at all, which should be obvious to most people anyway. And I think what you need to do in that case is really just say that you're going to identify the people who are therefore uh, culpable of this behaviour and, and get rid of them, kick them out. And um, that's not really happened. And, well, in terms of the reaction to it, like I say, it's sadly, it feels like it's already moved on to the next thing. And, and I guess these things are just going to keep going round and round. And unfortunately, we're probably going to have to wait until the next thing happens and then start again. Yeah, that seems to be the trend here. Um, frustratingly, sadly, infuriatingly. But might not be the best time to ask you this, but what is the general feeling around the city at the moment? Forgetting the off-field issues, both clubs have had their problems this year on the pitch, but both could still play in Europe next season. Well, talking about the moves, I suppose, of the two Roman clubs, if we start with Lazio, today's probably not the best day to ask for the <laughs> because it's very bad after this result against Atalanta. And, you know, it was the Kievo result of defeat on Easter weekend at home to a Kievo team that had already been relegated. And that kind of brought to light a lot of the frustrations that people have had all season long with this team and this kind of staggering inability to, to perform consistently, to be able to beat Milan at San Siro and, and lose at home to Kievo in the same week is, is just um, very frustrating for fans because they know that this team is capable of, of playing at a very good level but hasn't ever been able to, to manage to deliver that consistently so I think for Lazio fans now the mood is really that the, the Coppa Italia final is, is more or less everything because um, winning a trophy is, is a huge deal obviously and the Coppa Italia is a competition that Lazio have had um, great times with recently um, and and want more of that so I think if they can finish the season coming out on top in the Coppa Italia and, and sneak into the top six or seven uh, it will still be viewed as a decent season I think there will always be a sense that they could, more could have been achieved the Champions League race they should still be in it at this stage um, but with a, with a cup, I think it can be seen as a decent season. Uh, without the cup, it's going to be seen as, as a bit of a failure, I think. Um, as for Roma, I think Claudio Ranieri coming in has, has done a lot in terms of um, managing to, to restore a bit of stability in the stands. Uh, under Di Francesco, there was kind of, I suppose, um, one protest after another, and um, by the time he was gone, there was very bad atmosphere and, and poor crowds as well. I mean, Roma have been, been bringing in um, smaller attendances in the last year of the season, which isn't isn't normal, um, and a lot of that's been down to, to what's been going on on the pitch. Uh, under Ranieri, though, he has managed to kind of get your average Roma fan back on his side because he's, he's a club man and, and he's a favourite with the fans as it is. And um, yeah, I think that they are still in that top four fight, obviously. I still don't think there's any great sense of excitement about this because um, for Roma, I think the, the fans expect that they are in the top four every year rather than getting excited about the fight to be in there. So for them to be involved in, in this kind of battle with a, a pretty poor Milan team and an Atalanta team um, above them, they're, they're going to be 
disappointed with that and the season as a whole, the way it's gone has been fairly turbulent for them and they'll be looking forward to seeing who they can get in this summer as a permanent uh, permanent coach uh, to replace Ranieri and really kind of ripping things up and, and starting again and I think there's definitely a big eye being cast towards the summer rebuild which is which is bound to happen. Yeah well Dov and I will be down in in the Eternal City for the Coppa Italia final in 10 days so Alistair maybe I'll catch up with you then but until then thank you very much. You two, let's talk about Atalanta Lazio because Lazio went to goal up within three minutes through Marco Parolo. And as Atalanta have now done on 14 occasions this season, Kev, they came from behind to get some important points. Yeah, and I think um, the fact that they've, they've managed to get so many points, and I think the most in the league from, from losing positions, shows the, shows the spirit of the side. I think they were relatively unfortunate to to fall behind to the Parolo goal. It was a a little bit of a, just a, a scramble. The ball went up in the air and then suddenly landed on his on his foot. But, uh, yeah, the, 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 just the, the spirit that Gasparini has got, those players sort of playing with, he's got to be in with a shout for uh, coach of the season, really. I don't you think... just think that go. even playing the last two home games uh, away from home they're still going to they're going to secure this Champions League spot hey, 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 hey. calm yourself it's a little bit early to say that they're going to do it but I don't think anybody else could even be considered for coach of the year I know Allegri has won the league but was he ever not going to win the league Ancelotti has kept Napoli second but Gasparini has the 14th biggest wage budget in Serie A and they're a point from third place it's ridiculous Vito do you think Gasp is a, is the number one contender for the coach of the season? To me, I reckon Gasparini should win it. If Allegri win it, wins it, I think it's a bit farcical, even though Juve have won the league so comprehensively. To me, Juve's achievements have been because the squad is so good, not so much that Allegri's been that great in the coaching or he's provided anything particularly outstanding. Gasparini, on the other hand, has really elevated the quality of the Atalanta squad, really given them a style of play. And to be close to third spot and possibly cementing a Champions League position, that is an incredible achievement. It's very hard for any provincial side in Europe's top five leagues to get it. And uh, Atalanta could potentially be one of them thanks to Gusp. Kev, he, he joked in his press conference after the match, which you can read thanks to Alistair on the site, um, that going behind is a, is a strategy of theirs. Uh, obviously, a little bit more than just tongue-in-cheek when he said that, but he did say it will eventually come back to haunt them. But what's Atalanta's trick? How do they keep coming from behind? How does Gasparini keep getting more than we think possible out of these players? I think there is a, there's a slight truth to his tongue-in-cheek. Um, phrase about going behind. Some players just thrive for that backs to the wall men- mentality, um, and I think I think that's their that's their sort of unique unique selling point as a, as a team is is just that that never say die attitude. It, well, it's pro- it's because maybe they've not got a standout star there that you are gonna consistently look the past you know look to pass to 
Um, you could argue that, that Lazio did it in the past with Chiro Mobile. You know, all the balls went to him for, for a while or, you know, there are other, if you like, almost larger names and, and Atalanta don't really have that even taken into account Gomez and, and Ilicic. I think that's right because Gomez and Ilicic are... They're, I don't know what to call them, nominal luxury players, but they don't behave like luxury players. They've got all the ability of it, but they work. They work really, really hard in that team, especially Gomez, who is often seen at the edge of his own box, and it's remarkable. Um, but it's it's hard to put your finger on exactly what he's doing because everything just seems to be working so, so well for them, Vito. Absolutely. And it's... Uh... Great to have such momentum at this stage of the season where most of the other teams around them are probably patching their form. At the moment, Atalanta have a lot of things going in their favour. I do believe a lot of it is due to Gasparini's philosophy, but also just the players with the confidence they're in and some players, they seem to be in the best form of their life, especially someone like Durban Zapata who scored the equaliser against Lazio. Uh, He's got 22 goals for the season now. So I think uh, when you have players who are playing to the best of their ability, uh, there are goals that may seem unachievable at first, but uh, they surprisingly end up being a reality. And uh, I think with getting a win like this, especially in Rome, where usually the the atmosphere can be hostile, I think it's uh, great for Atalanta and important to continue with this momentum in the last three games of the season and also even for the Coppa Italia final. This was a good appetizer and probably for your sake you'd be hoping for a bit more of the same. Absolutely. We, we've got a liar appear in the comments. Hamad has come in and said, I asked after week four if Atalanta, Sampdoria or Fiorentina could make the top four and I remember all of you said no. I know for a fact that's not true, Hamad, because I said as soon as Atalanta got knocked out of the Europa League, that they would qualify for the Champions League, and I've stuck with that all season. So go back and listen to the podcast, and you'll prove yourself to be incorrect. But anyway, Kev, they are now, in your own words, in control of their own destiny. They've got Genoa at home, but away. It's in Reggio Emilia. Juventus away, and Sassuolo in Reggio Emilia to play. And... They just need to to do the what you would expect them to do, and they get Europe. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I said last week that I I mapped out the my potential points for the teams that were vying for that Champions League spot, and even taking into account that they have Juve away uh, not this week coming, but the following week. I don't think I gave many points for that, but even so, they were they were four they were four ahead of anybody else in my permutations and I think even allowing for me to uh, to make some errors there I, I just I just don't see them not doing it and I was concerned about them playing away from from Bergamo and you probably also have to factor in the Coppa Italia uh, is it the 15th of May yes so that's squeezed in between some um, some league fixtures but I, I, I think they're going to be playing Champions League football next year. Shut up. Shut up. Maybe but at Anfield. 
Uh, maybe at Anfield. Maybe, maybe at Anfield. My dad's a Chelsea fan, so he was messing with me today to say that they might be playing them. He might be making a trip to Reggio Emilia next season, which isn't something I'd recommend anyone do, but oh well. Um, they were welcomed back at the airport, as they always are when they win a big game, by 4,000 crazy fans with flares, fireworks, songs, and everything. And Vito, I've seen a bit of a reaction online to say that this is a bit premature, but does that just not understand that Atalanta do this all the time? Yeah, they do it quite a lot. So, you know, I've noticed that in the last two to three years, especially in the Gasparini era, that with all this latest um, overachievement, that the, they are fans have been really proud of their team. You know, they're happy to see them be more than just a team that survives relegation or finish mid-table. And they haven't been this good since probably the early 90s. So... To really be pushing for Europe, I think they're just taking everything as it comes. And these things, you know, the big reasons for celebration. You can't expect them to be like the big clubs who only celebrate when it's, uh, you know, a victory of a trophy. Sometimes you've got to look at clubs and say, you know, certain things are big enough achievements as it is. So, you know, if they find a reason to celebrate, why not? You could probably that, argue that show of. That show of support from the uh, the Atalanta fans is what makes me think that they'll have no trouble moving away from Bergamo for those last two games. Well, we saw it when they were in the Europa League and they had to play yeah, their, group stages, yeah. their group stage games in Reggio. The whole city went. Um, Papu Gomez spoke after the the qualification for the Coppa Italia final and he said, we're going to take the whole of Bergamo to Rome. And there's near 200,000 people living in Bergamo. You wouldn't be surprised if... Each and every 200,000 of them made the trip with me to the capital for that game. And it's, it's going to be something special wherever they go. Um, and that extends to whatever European adventure they do have next season, should they clinch qualification in the Europa League or the Champions League. But since Christmas, they've only lost twice. And <laughs> those games came in consecutive matches against Milan and Torino. And people were riding them off ridiculously, I remember saying at the time. But... One of the reasons for their form, Vito, you touched on it, is Duvan Zapata. And he got another big goal today. And it wasn't a bad touch that set him up for it. No, um, that was a well-worked goal. So, yeah, um, it's not like that Atalanta get scrappy goals or anything. A lot of the goals are good in the build-up and also in the execution. And uh, once again with Zapata... Despite his tall and solid frame, this season he's just displayed greater mobility and also better touch on the ball than usual. So I think that's uh, fantastic on his part and yeah, also vital for Atalanta's aspirations that he is in such a fantastic form and uh, also playing supposedly out of character. Mm. Kev Lazio then. We spoke to Alistair earlier about them, but I'll speak to you now that Seven points off the Champions League, that's them done, isn't it? It is, yeah. And I think we've shown, we've shown, we've so, so shown, we've seen the cracks starting to appear the last few weeks. Um, the Milinkovic Savage reaction that got himself sent off. Um, and yeah, they, they've just, just dropped like a stone in recent weeks. Yeah, it's a, it's a strange one. But anyway, Alistair will have spoken a little bit more about that. On to 
another positive story from this season's Serie A campaign. Sitting pretty in sixth place in the Europa League spots at Torino. And they went across the city to take on the old lady of Juventus on Friday evening. And they held them to a one-all draw. I say they held them. Torino were held to a one-all draw here, Kev. Yeah, they were. I, I, I don't watch a great deal of Torino, but obviously every time the uh, the derby comes around, you, you watch it with uh, interest. And I, I can't remember in recent memory them playing as well and on the front foot. And I sort of mentioned it to Dov during the game. And he sort of said that, you know, the Champions League incentive to actually turn Juve over. Obviously, there should always be some incentive to turn over your local rival. But it might have hit the nail on the head because they seem to be really, really positive and trying to attack um, Juve at home for once. I think we see it a little bit more uh, when they're at the Olympico. Yeah, it was it was quite nice to see. But how much of that do you think played into Juve having ended their season already? I think I think a little bit. Um, I, I, I'm yet to see the the attendance. Uh, at the stadium that night because it, it seemed to me that there were sort of patches of almost as if the fans have given up on the season as much as Juventus have and I wonder if that also um, played a little bit into their hands but I, I think certainly second half you saw that Juve, you know the players did not want to lose that game whether that be the the, the fans in the stadium voicing their unhappiness because certainly many of them when the uh, the camera was panning around on Friday night were very unhappy as the players were, were trudging off at half time. So I don't think we can discredit Torino's efforts too much with um, Juve having the, the title wrapped up. You're probably right. Do you went the stadium bit? I always find the turnout there to be quite disappointing considering they reduce the capacity to make it fall all the time for this amazing atmosphere but it's just it it's never really the case is, I'm, I'm like you, I don't know the, the attendance figures, but it always does strike you when there are empty seats there because they stand out so much more than in other places. But Vito, Torino are another team who, they've only lost three times since Christmas and we we sit here and praise them every single week and we're doing it again. Can they, could they qualify for the Champions League? Because they are, they're five points behind Atalanta now, so it's a tall task for them, but even Europa League qualification for them will be an enormous victory for Mazzari. Absolutely. Since uh, Giampiero Ventura left the Torino job to coach the national team, uh, you had uh, Mahalovic there who wasn't able to get them out of mid-table, basically. And then uh, Mazzari, he took over last season, had some respectable results, but uh, this is Mazzari's first full season with the Granata. And I think he's uh, finally getting his ideas across and it's really benefiting the Granata in this instance. I do think that uh, the Champions League is probably a bit of a stretch, uh, but the way Inter are, they're not the most consistent team by any stretch of the imagination. And I wouldn't pass past Inter to slip it up more than uh, Torino sort of getting there. I reckon Torino getting the Champions League would be phenomenal, but uh, it also helps when you have uh, teams around them that aren't producing enough uh, consistency in the results. Can you just imagine if Serie A's representatives in the Champions League next season, given how much the, the other sides have invested, were Juventus, Napoli, Atalanta and Torino. It would be 
chaotic. Uh, but Torino would draw all of their six group games nil nil and sneak themselves through somehow. You just know it. <laughs> just know it but I don't know, Kev. It, back to reality, it had to be Cristiano Ronaldo <laughs> burst their bubble a bit, didn't it? Yeah, and probably because when we're talking about the uh, the Juventus players sort of slowing down because they've wrapped the title up, he's the type of individual that won't allow that to happen for his own personal pride and hung very well in the air for the header and um, right, right place, right time again. Yeah, well, this is what he does. I'm just looking at the table now. and It's testament to how well organised Matsari has this Torino team that they've only scored one goal more than Empoli this season. And Torino are sixth, Empoli are possibly going to get relegated, which it shows. Organisation can get you quite a long way in football. Um, right. We we won't get to speak about Milan's result, obviously, because they play on Monday evening. We're recording this on Monday morning or Sunday night, whatever way you want to look at it. But they're away to Bologna. Kev, they could slip. Or no, they're at home I to Bologna, they, rather, but they could slip. I still think they'll slip. You know, Bologna are the informed side in Syria. Milan don't really, don't really know where they're going at the moment. Um question marks around selection, question marks around Gattuso's future. Um, and I just think Bologna will ride their wave to get themselves to the 40-point mark. I'm pretty sure they're on 37. They At the are, very least, I expect them to draw. Hmm. Well, Bologna are one of Serie A's form teams. Um, the other are sitting pretty in fourth. But yeah, I take your point. I take your point. Um, we won't spend too long speaking about that anyway, but... Next on the list, we've got, again, the Dov Schiavone was at for us. It was Genoa-Roma, where Roma drew. They scored late. It looked like they had won it. Then they conceded late and then gave away an even later penalty. Vito, Roma were lucky to escape with a point. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. 
Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. They were, and mostly it was because of the rather tame efforts Antonio Sanabria had from the penalty spot. He was the one that earned the penalty, but he was the one that... Uh, stood up, and he just struck the ball timely at Mirante, and it was a really poor penalty, to be honest. I mean, very amateurish to just struck it so weakly. Yeah, it was awful. The only time I can forgive penalties being hit so softly are when they take the, you know, the Diego Perotti approach, or Eden Hazard, where they walk up to the ball, send the keeper down, and then just trickle it in. But this, this was just dreadful. I feel like this is the type of penalty that will get you annoyed. Uh, well, yeah, it was it was it was woeful. Um, <laughs> to be perfectly honest, I was probably more, I was probably more annoyed at the um, the Roma defending on the uh, the general equaliser because Romero out jumped about four Roma, Roma defenders. Um, where was Antonio Morante for that? Because I'm still looking for him. <laughs> he was. Well, no. yeah, you can you can share some of the blame, but the, you know, one Genoa player shouldn't be out jumping four. Uh, Roma defenders or you know, players, I think they all expected the other to, to go up with a header. It, it, it was just astounding. Before we speak about Genoa, or no, before we speak about Roma, rather, Genoa are four points above the drop. They do have the, the Udinese cushion separating them and Empoli, but is it too late for them to get dragged into things now, Vito? It's never too late. <laughs> with all seriousness though with all seriousness though there are three rounds left and mathematically there is a possibility so Empoli they did manage to get the win against Fiorentina and they have Samp next and the Blue Cerchiati haven't been in great form so yeah it just it's interesting to see really it's more a case of if Empoli can sort of you know, keep scoring goals, but also tighten things up at the back because that's been Empoli's major problem this season, that they just have such a leaky defence. Otherwise, their football's usually been fantastic. If they were able to get more results, then I'm sure Udinese and Genoa would have been dragged into this a lot earlier because Udinese have been poor. And in the second half of the season, Genoa have been absolutely terrible, especially since they sold Piontek. Yeah, well, they were basically a one-man team or a two-man team with him and Kwame tearing it up for most of the season. But, yeah, it says a lot about, again, it's not quite as bad as it was last season, but the, the quality down the bottom of Serie A is not very good, unfortunately. Thankfully, there is a bit more than there was last year because last year, and I think the year before, was an absolute disgrace. It was the year Empoli got relegated and... They scored about 14 goals or something ridiculous before April. I can't remember, but yeah, a little bit better than that. Kev, Roma, they, they've been doing their job quite quietly and subtly, but 
still not convincing. And today they were they were made to pay. Ranieri's not going to be there after this season. And both Antonio Conte and now Jose Mourinho have been linked with the soon-to-be vacant Roma bench. Yeah, I saw I saw reports that Mourinho had been offered a three-year contract um, to move to the capital. I I can't see that happening. Um, Jose historically has been a man that's gone to clubs that are willing to uh, lavish millions and millions of pounds on him to to strengthen the side. And even if Roma need that, um, I'd probably argue they do in certain areas. Uh, I don't see them don't see him giving those that those sort of funds. And then with Spalletti's future into open to question, I don't see why either he or Conte would choose Roma over Inter if they've got Champions League football next year. Mm, I'd agree with that. I, I can't see Mourinho or, or maybe Conte, but definitely not Mourinho going somewhere where you can't win the league. Roma is definitely somewhere where you cannot win the league. Inter, I know they're, what, 26 points five the event is now, but they've a lot more opportunities to end Juventus' stranglehold on the Scudetto than Roma do, you would imagine. But um, can we stop talking about Roma? Where are we going now? Oh, our favourite subject, Inter. Udinese nil, Inter nil. Uh, this was fun, wasn't it, Vito? Well, Juan Musso, the Udinese goalkeeper, probably saved Udinese from losing this particular game because the Nerazzurri had quite a few chances to win, whereas uh, Udinese, the best chance they probably had was from Mandragora in the first half. So, yeah, you could say that Inter were probably a bit unlucky not to win, but at the same time, neither side have been overly fantastic lately, so you'd reckon based on that, nil-nil was fair enough. Ev, do you want to talk about this game or do you want to talk about Mary Icardi? Mr. Icardi. I'd rather talk about Icardi. <laughs> Let's do it then. Where shall we start? Shall we start with the sexy posts again or shall we go to the Ultras statement? Oh, well, tell me the Ultras statement because this is what I've missed. Okay, well, the Ultras were obviously listening to the FAF pod last week because they, they hit out at their former captain in the form of a a public statement where they basically said nobody questions the technical and sporting ability of the number nine but the problem is and will continue to be his mentality it doesn't fit with the club's profile it can't ever change he's wasted various opportunities to reconcile with the dressing room and with the fans which is testimony enough that for the common good of the club a player with such superficial characteristics cannot be part of Inter's future so that's what they had to say Okay, so firstly on that, I mentioned this previously, that you can't dig a player out so blatantly if you're looking to keep, you know, keep retain some form of resale value. You know, because I know obviously the fans don't necessarily have a direct, a, a direct link to that, but it, they must realise that whatever they get for a card if they want him out that seriously is going to effectively be the funds to to provide a replacement. It really just seems like they don't care at this point. They just want him gone at whatever cost. I I, I understand that sentiment, but at, at some stage, someone has to get some realism into them and uh, and make them realise that it's not, uh, it's not particularly beneficial to the club for them to be effectively hounding this uh, chap out of town. Mm. It does seem though, Vito, as if, 
it's I know we've been here before with with little Marito, but he can't be there beyond this summer, can he? I mean, it's just he can't stay. No, he can't. So, sometimes I've seen, at least on social media, that it's once again Wanda and uh, Mauro just the whole saga lately, not just with all the photos on Instagram, that they're just trying to bluff and trying to get a better deal from Inter. But this time I can't see it happening that way. I think it's more than just uh, trying to get a deal from Inter. In this scenario, I think they are starting to burn so many bridges you know, within the Inter board, the fans, and possibly even the locker room as well. So to see Inter play with the Cardi next season, I would be shocked, to be honest, because this sort of reaction here, you can't draw too much negative attention on the club. And the way things are going at Inter, they need a proper leader. They need a proper captain who's actually determined to win and not really be out there for his own interests, and he's got to be a leader on and off the pitch. Uh, This sort of stuff here between all the fooling around on Instagram and so forth, uh, you don't really want to see that from your captain or even former captain. So I reckon his future might be better away away from Inter. Yeah, for for everyone's sake, it's time to just cut the cord there and and move on. Let Icardi entertain some other countries' podcast, but I'll I'll miss him. To be honest, as irritating as it can be, speaking about him all the time, he keeps things interesting. Kev, let's get to the pictures because there's been more developments before you go into your little theory. Um, last time we spoke about the latest picture was Wanda lying on him on a table. Then the roles reversed, possibly the same table that is to be confirmed. But Wanda put some clothes on and Icardi took all of his off. And what kind of position would you describe that as? Um, uh, I, I, I don't know. I, 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 can't, I can't think about this without laughing now. It, and and I, I generally just keep going back to the one where Wanda's on her back because of a, a, a childhood memory of my own, which... Um, which kind of got brought to back to back to me earlier in the week. Okay, and, uh, well, I, you you teased us in our in our personal chat. You said, "Do you have a you have a story to tell us?" So, yeah. So uh, earlier in the week, um, all of us will know Sid Lowe, the, uh, the the journalist that focuses on Spanish football, and he he put out a tweet of a, an anatomically incorrect picture of a pregnant uh, a pregnant lady at thirty odd weeks that looked like a small baby uh, driving a woman. Anyway, <laughs> by the um, way, if you haven't seen it, go and check out Sid Lowe's definitely tweet. Definitely go and hilarious. check it out. And it reminded me of when I was relatively small, because we don't talk in the Pogazowski household of a book that my mother gave myself and my three brothers of similarly poorly drawn people uh, having sex positions and explaining the uh, the reproduce, uh, reproductive uh, cycle. And every single image of the man penetrating the, the lady was based on them laying on a table. <laughs> and I cannot now get Wanda and Marrow out of my head but also for, for a very small proportion of my life, I thought that men and women only had sex on tables. 
why why a table i have no idea clearly it was the easiest thing for the um, illustrator to draw what kind of table well just like your standard kitchen worktop <laughs> table the man was always stood upright and the lady was on her back the man was just... always upright yes it almost to show the ease at which a penis could do its job <laughs> so it's it's hope, quite i hope that's pc enough for the pod at this but... late hour the height, as long as we don't swear, it's fine. The the height of the table was quite convenient then in each of those scenarios. Well, exactly, but I spent a good 18 months thinking that my mother and father were only having sex on tables. What age was this? <laughs> uh, oh, I don't want to do my mother a disservice as to when she taught us about the birds and the bees, but um, I reckon I could have been as young as eight. Where were you eating your dinner at this time? Well, there's another story there, Connor, that I can't. <laughs> it, it did, it did, it did bring up the uh, the fear uh, that you know every time we sat down for our evening meals, have we ever left our parents alone? Um, yeah. Oh well, Martin Carter says that he needs to dump Wanda and stay. I don't think that's ever going to happen. Wanda and Icardi are for life until it goes terribly, terribly wrong, and he doesn't get a move because of something she said. Kev, are you finished talking about that? I am finished talking about my uh, my upbringing, yes. Okay, fantastic. Everyone else, uh, go to Instagram and follow at Mauro Icardi and you will be treated to a lovely series of Instagram posts, which are just an absolute joy. There's a couple of very curious positions, but make of them what you will. Are we done talking about Inder? Is that really, what we're, is that really it? Yes. Uh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. yeah. All right, I'll let's probably just say I, I can see them dropping below Atalanta, but not below fourth. Yeah, I they think can. That, I think they will secure Champions League. I think Inter will be fine. There's there's not going to mm. be any problems there. And, and if they do miss out on the Champions League, I fear for the San Siro if neither of those teams are in it in the Champions League next year. But oh well. Um, right, where are we going next? Let's go to let's. You two come here and me not go anywhere. We'll talk about Parma Sampdoria because this was quite fun. You know, I was quite pessimistic about this beforehand because both teams or neither team rather had anything to play for. Sampdoria have no chance of Europe and Parma have very, very little chance of getting relegated. The biggest novelty about this game was the fact that both teams were wearing kits that honoured one another. Uh, the Ultras were celebrating a 30 years of official Gemalaggio or twinning or friendship, whatever you want to call it. And I was treated on the pitch. It finished 3-3. Both teams had players sent off. Both teams led at different points. And it was quite fun. But, Kev, you're not happy. Well, it wasn't that I was unhappy. I just get I get bored of the tedium of these half and half scarves and these novelty novelty right. football kits and what this what annoys me more than anything before, else. Though. Sorry, Connor. No, 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 go, go, go. What annoys me more than anything else is a club not wearing its home shirt at home. But can you not? I, I know this was for charity. I kind of accept that, but it's just, you know, I suppose I, I, I grew up in the era when all these um, third kits and 
European shirts and Champions League shirts came out and they absolutely fleeced the generation of football fans and it was for no, nothing more than the, than profit-making. Um, and now I think that that's been seen to be what it is. There's now a, you know, there's a 115-year anniversary kit that somebody will wear and I don't know, I just get tired of the of the marketing and the generally I agree, but this is for charity and it was something that I've never seen before for two teams to acknowledge a relationship with one another and to incorporate the opposition's kit into their own while still wearing their own colours. I thought it was quite nice. The only confusing thing was that Palmer's home kit was predominantly blue, which threw me a little bit. Um but oh, it was beautiful. I bought the Palmer shirt. I just think it's fantastic. It's it's a nice And did thing. they do a limited number? Yeah, the, the, I didn't say how many there were, but the thing about it was all of the shirts sold in Parma, the money raised from that will go to a charity in Genova, and all of the shirts sold in Genova, the money from that will go to a charity here in Parma, which I thought was quite a really nice touch. Um, for the club to acknowledge that the fans have this friendship and to to come up with such a creative and imaginative way of honouring it, I thought was really quite nice. In a way, I don't understand the friendship. It, it's it goes back. To, I've got a friend. I've got a friend here who, who who's from Peterborough, lives in Portsmouth. So he says he follows both clubs, but he also likes Wolves because I don't know. His a childhood friend grew up and played for Wolves. It's this whole. They are your direct rivals at some stage. You know whether they go up or down leagues, or you play them in the cup. Another side in your own country is going to be a direct rival, and this whole fan friendship I don't know I just it just doesn't it's never sat right with me but the players still went at it as you saw two sendings off and six goals the players didn't take anything from the fact that oh these are our mates we're not going to go for them I'm sure they do because it, the, you know all the, the marketing bluff probably largely goes over their head Um, but yeah I don't know it, it's commendable because of the charitable aspect but I just I don't, don't think I ever get over it no I don't think you ever will mate. it's all negative it's ridiculous all they just hit you hard uh, but Fido <laughs> um, let's make Kev even more miserable because his favourite player Fabio Quagliarella was at it again he scored twice yeah it's uh, fantastic and now he's got 25 goals for the season and he's well beaten Vincenzo Montella's talent of a tally of 22 for the 96-97 season. And now he's two goals away from equaling Sergio Brigenti's tally from the 1960-61 season. So at 36, better than a fine wine, and he's still going. And it was just a shame we couldn't secure the three points because for most of the game, we were playing some excellent football even on a wet pitch. Oh, the pitch was a, the pitch was crazy. It was causing absolute chaos, which... I had a lot of fun with because it just meant that there was always going to be um, goals, basically, and usually red cards, although the red cards did come from things that didn't really have anything to do with the pitch. But one of the big reasons Sampdoria didn't get all three points, Kev, was because of Omar Colley. He he wasn't very good. No, we spoke about it last week. I thought he was awful against Bologna. He made, obviously, a, a rash challenge for the penalty this week and then got himself sent off. Probably a little bit of time out of the team will do him some good because, as Vito mentioned uh, um, last week, I think it was, that he's, he's still quite young. But um, 
yeah, he, he makes some strange decisions um, quite a lot of the time at the moment. Yeah, that seems to be his, his major flaw. The, the penalty incident was was really bad. He just fell asleep. And Siligardi had only come on the pitch. He basically ran from the halfway line to get kicked. And that was his first impact. He must have been on less than 10 seconds by the time it happened. Uh, Dennis Pratt, I want to talk about him. Vito, you've got an absolute gem in him. He's he's elegant. Every time he has the ball, things just slow down. And he seems to have more time than anyone else when he's in possession. He has been fantastic for us this season. And he's just grown, grown with confidence. He's... He's neat on the ball, very tidy. tidy. He even helped to track back a few times because Bartosz Berezinski had a poor game against Gervinho, especially when it came to defending. So Pratt dropped back a few times to help him out. And I even thought Pratt could have scored twice in this game too. So I really like the way he plays. He's just got fantastic skills on the ball. And, yeah, just if he added some finishing touch too, I think – he would be he's such a fantastic player for us and unfortunately I think he'll probably be another one of those players that will be snapped but snapped up by someone else for a good amount of money. It seems to be the way things go at, at Sampdoria, unfortunately, but mm. <laughs> because I was distracted by a comment from from regular listener and commenter Lock, yes. Kev, it's aimed at you. What is this Freudian segment? He wants to know. Have you any explanation? Sorry? What is this Freudian segment? He's referring to you and your your childhood tales. Have you any explanation for it, or is it just what it, exactly what it was? Yeah, no, I think it's exactly what it was. It just uh, it was it was the combination of the tweet from Sid Lowe and then Wanda and uh, Marrow's pictures that just uh, brought that horrible childhood memory back to me. All right, take it to rewind. Let's go back, Parma. Um, Alessandro Bastoni got a big goal, but it wouldn't have happened if it wasn't for the big man. Big Bruno Alves popping up on the left wing. Did you see the technique on that cross, Kev? It was fantastic. Yes, your love affair with uh, with Bruno can continue for another week. It was great because he got the ball and I honestly thought myself, found myself thinking, oh, he's the perfect man because he'll just whip in an amazing cross. But then I thought, oh, no. But no one's good enough to score if he's not in there. But then he did that, and I can't remember who got the header, but he missed. And then Bastoni, his, his little pal from the back, was there to tap it in. And what I liked about this was Roberto de Versa charged down the touchline. What was a pretty pointless goal, really, but de Versa was loving it. There's a great photo of him, Bastoni, and um, big Bruno celebrating in the corner, and it's, it's fantastic. But Bruno Alves, by the way, is our winner for goal of the month for Serie A in April. So my love affair can continue with him for at least another month, Kev. You'll be happy to know. And then when Atalanta sign him for the Champions League run next season, I'll be getting him on the back of my shirt and getting his name tattooed on me somewhere. I'll have a lovely little time. But I think that's it from the from Parma Sampdoria. Anything else to say about either of these? No. Nope. I thought this was going to be... Capaldi should have scored twice as well. He should have. He should have killed the game, actually, with that low low drag. Vito, go on. <laughs> you can vent. Yeah. Well, I think it's been typical of me to pick scapegoats. And 
Yeah, as we touched upon, Collie, shocking. Uh, I reckon he was a disaster waiting to happen, to be honest. And Marco Giampaolo should have picked up on that, but no, he kept persisting with Collie. Um, I, look, I might show my Sampdoria biases here, but I really think it was a case of not so much Parma creating a great comeback, but more that Sampdoria lost it. And uh, Collie was that uh, person, unfortunately. And I also feel that with uh, Joachim Anderson being absent, I think that leaves a bigger hole in our defence than I had anticipated. And uh, it's just a shame that Collie's been playing so terribly. It's like no awareness, no sense of discipline. And it's sad because I thought in the first half of the season or first three quarters, he actually was looking good. But some of these errors, they're more atrocious than anything Edgar Barreto can come up with. Oh, poor Edgar. You brought him back up. I thought he was out of the fire on line for... for mind you, mind you, for one of those chances Caprari could have scored, Barreto did play a beautiful long pass. I'll give him that. And that would have been... And if Caprari scored that, could have been Barreto with the winning assist and probably one of the most sumptuous passes you could see this season too. Good. Some positivity for the Paraguayan? I think. Yes, Paraguay. Paraguay. Played at the 2010 World Cup. Wow. That's a thought, isn't it? Mm. Barreto mm. at a World Cup. Ridiculous. Yeah. Um, Spal, guys, they're, <laughs> they're knocking on the door of the top 10 now. They're officially safe. They beat Kiev 4-0. And their impressive run lately has just kept going. Kev, they should be looking to kind of cement themselves as one of those mid-table sides in Serie A next season. Yeah, I was thinking that, but do you think they will? I think they should. I think this season that was the aim because they brought in Atalanta, basically, with Krutic, Drame, Palowski, Petania, Grassi was there for a bit. Who else is there? I they saw him very well when they first when they were first promoted. Yeah, but then even last summer too, they took all of the Atalanta boys who got them to the Europa League and... It started well for a few weeks, then it went terribly, and now it's gone well again. If they could just middle out somewhere. Yeah, I think could... there's an element of the strength of the sides that come up next season will sometimes give a club like that a buffer to, you know, save themselves for another year and sort of continue that gradual progression rather than mm. try and go all out to, to cement that uh, Serie A status. Yeah, this is it. If you look at the teams that are coming up, it's going to be... Well, Brescia are confirmed as back in Serie A and it, it could well be Lecce or Palermo joining them and then one of the playoff winners. So you'd fancy Spal to stay higher than all of the three promoted sides. And if you look at the teams that are below them now, Parma, Cagliari, Genoa and Udinese, if they all stay up, Spal should fancy themselves to finish above them again. And then there's kind of that middle bit where anything can really happen with like Fiorentino, Fiorentino, Torino, Sassuolo. You don't really know what's going to happen with those teams. Um, so yeah, Spal, I like it. It's good. It's somewhere else for me to go. And it's always a nice place to watch football. But yeah, good on you, Spal. Hopefully they can continue that for next season. What's left? I've lost my thing. Oh, Napoli beat Cagliari 2-1. And this was a bit controversial because of a, a penalty that was given Vito. What did you think of this? I thought the infringement was outside, and it's hard to tell from the replays, but at least based on the one so I've seen, the handball was probably just inside the penalty area. But 
they're not the easiest calls to make too. So I reckon it, that would have been a call that could have gone 50-50 anyway. Yeah, there's been – a lot of people were kicking off about this. But, Kev, I'm finding it hard to care because the match literally could not really matter any less. Cagliari no, won't get relegated. Napoli are second. Who cares? It's fine. Yeah, the, the outrage outweighed the significance of the match by quite an astonishing level, really, <laughs> because um, I've not read the uh, read the report, but I saw something surface on Twitter about the sporting director going crazy after the game about the injustice of the the penalty. Ancelotti, I think, largely just brushed it aside. He gave it the um, the the airtime that it was probably um, due to get by mm. just saying, you know, he thought it was a penalty, and you say everybody's everybody's safe and happy. I think mean, might have moved Cagliari into tenth. I mean, that's where they were when I saw that they were winning. But yeah, but what what difference is that? Largely mean? inconsequential. Yeah, I suppose a little bit more prize money, but it's not going to be that that much of a difference. Um, I think that's us. Uh, sorry, B. Lecce play Spezia next week, and if they win, they get promoted. Whereas Palermo play Cittadella at home, they'll have to basically better Lecce's result in, on points. But I quite like both of those teams. I'd like Lecce to come up and Palermo to come up through the playoffs, just because I know I'm a Lecce fan. So I'm kind of backing them for their promotion push. But I do also want Benevento to come up, so I don't know what to do. But what can you do? It's a difficult situation. Anyway, Vito, thank you. Welcome. Just before we go, though, uh, Hellas Verona, that's a pretty funny scenario. They sacked Fabio Grosso and they hired uh, Federico Alietti and they still lost 3-0 to Cittadella. So it looks like they'll miss out on uh, the playoffs. And, yeah, I don't know what Verona were thinking by sacking, by sacking Grosso. No, I'd agree with that. And Kev, thank you. You've reminded me that we this kind of an important result before dipping into Serie B. Because Empoli got a win. They, they're not dead yet. Derby. Yeah, they beat Fiorentina in the derby that no one cares about. And they're still alive. Can they do it? I, I fear for Udinese um, uh, and possibly Genoa, actually. I, you know, I know that. Yeah, I can see Vito cheering in my, uh, on my screen. <laughs> Um, I, I think I've been f- sort of lulled into a false sense of security because a lot of the other European leagues are finishing either next week. You kind of forget that Serie A has still got three rounds of fixtures to go. Kev, Udinese play Frozenone next week. Yeah, but then look at look at Frozenone. Even they put up a fight against the Swolo. You know, maybe... There's that there's that old cliche that when the sides are actually down and they go and they go and get a win, you know, like Kievo did against Lazio. Mm. And um, yeah, I just think with three rounds left to go, if Empoli can can do like they've done this week and keep it tight and grab a goal, then who knows? It would at least make our lives a little bit more exciting. For yeah, true. Week. I don't particularly have fond feelings for Empoli or negative feelings, but. I, I would quite like to see Udinese get relegated. Um, <laughs> just so I could send a couple of messages to a certain someone. But yeah, whatever happens there, let's hope that it's not decided before the last week of the season and Udinese have a little bit of a struggle and they have to sweat a little bit. But 
because that would be fun for personal reasons. But Vito, Empoli still the, the team to go down? Look, at this stage, they don't have an easy draw coming up, so I don't really fancy their chances, but I really hope they prove me wrong because they are a delightful team to watch. Whereas Udinese, I think they need to seriously rebuild because the Pozzo family have different priorities. And then Genoa, the circus of all circuses, as much as I love the derby, um, Genoa have to know their place. Kev, your facial reaction, what did that mean? <laughs> I think we should have just left the pod on surface of all circuses. Yeah, yeah well, that'll be the outro, um, for sure. We might play the Genoa music. I like being week. a neutral on this pod. Uh, yeah, you don't have a theme, actually, do you? No, when I when I first started following Syria, not back in the 80s, not quite, well, I suppose late 70s. 80s, um, it was... Yeah, I, I suppose I sort of had favourite players, but never really affiliated myself with one particular club. Although I would say that Genoa were the first side I saw because they played Liverpool in the '92 UEFA Cup. So that's my first real where I sort of fell in love with that uh, Branco free kick. Even you know, even though they 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 defeated us. This is terrible. How could so, you wait all season to reveal that? That's probably one I should go for, but. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but they stole your song You'll Never Walk Alone I know um, and actually I also saw Sampdoria in the uh, 92 European Cup final which was on my birthday my, the first real one that I remember because it was at Wembley what age were you? Uh, 11 what age were you really? no 11 81 birth <laughs> <laughs> so you were 12 when I was born Thank you. I thought you were older, to be honest. Um, that's <laughs> how, how very dare you. <laughs> I, I think my internet's going. <laughs> Whenever you're like, Vito, this time I mean it, goodbye. Bye, Connor. Uh, thank you, as ever. Kev, anything else to say on Maro Icardi, Wandanara, anything? No, I don't need that before going to bed. Any more dreams of my childhood. Okay, fantastic. Um, yeah, thanks for listening and putting up with us this week. We will be back again next week, probably Sunday night. I hope Sunday night. I don't know what games there are, but, oh, next week's big. Atalanta-Genoa in Reggio Emilia and then Fiorentina-Milan for me. So that'll be fun. Anyway, uh, we will speak to you then. In the meanwhile, head over to ForzaItalianFootball.com for all of our Serie A news, features, videos, Match coverage from inside the stadiums. No one else does that. And I think that's everything, you know. I think that's everything. But until next time, I have nothing else to say other than ciao for now.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Market.